Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. at our South End campus just down the road. Now, if you're new to Freedom House, we are one house with many rooms. In addition to this campus, which is our central campus, we've got our Lake Norman campus, our South End campus that I already mentioned, and we also have our online campus. And we have lots of people joining us online today. Welcome, everybody. We've got people from California, Florida, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, Georgia, South Carolina, and Ohio, all up in the house today. Isn't that awesome? So glad you guys are all here. Well, we do things a little bit differently here at Freedom House. We have what's called a teaching team. So every weekend, we have a new communicator speaking from the platform, a live word of God. Now, that's a vision from our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, who are absolutely amazing. Aren't they great? Can we just give it up for them? Pastor Troy and Penny, we love them so much. So grateful for all that they do. All right, guys, I've got a lot of content today, so we're going to dive in. You guys ready? Okay, we are in a series called Emotions. And this series is all about emotions. It's all about anger and joy and lust and frustration, and the list goes on. But in this series, we're going to learn how to lead our emotions in the way that God would have us to. Now, before we dive into the emotion that God laid on my heart to share with you today, I thought it was important for us to understand where emotions come from. And we can't dive into emotions without first talking about the creator, about God. 
God, the Father, he is a three-part being. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we are made in God's image. The Bible says perfectly and wonderfully. So we are also a three-part being. I want you to say this with me. I am a spirit. I live in a body. And I have a soul. Okay, so three-part being made in the image of the Father, of the Trinity. But you know, our soul also has three parts. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Think of it this way. Our mind is like the executive processing function. That's where choice is made. And our will is our ability to make choice. Because in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God gave us free will. So our will is our ability to make that choice. And our emotions are like our internal barometer that gauge the temperature in and around those choices that we make. Think of it like this. If I'm hungry, I'm gonna make a choice as to whether or not I eat a healthy salad or some cheesy nachos. And that choice is happening in my mind. Now, my ability to choose between the healthy salad and the cheesy nachos, that's my will. And then my emotions are how I'm feeling about choosing the cheesy nachos, because let's be honest, I'm not gonna pick something that's good for me when I can flat out pick something that's just good. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, now our emotions are fleshly in nature. And they are not sinful by default. However, if we're not careful, our emotions can lead us to sin. The Bible says in Galatians chapter five, verse 16, so I say, walk by the spirit. Everybody say spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Everybody say flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So our emotions are fleshly in nature and they are in constant conflict with our spirit. And if we're not careful, we can allow our emotions, our flesh to drive when the Bible clearly says we're supposed to be spirit led. You know, I'll never forget the first time I cried at work in front of my boss. You know, my team had been working like 70, 80 hour weeks. I had been working like that too. And we were working on this project. It was really challenging. And I was bringing, to, bringing it to my boss, kind of hoping that he would give some, you know, profound advice. And he goes, well, just work some longer hours. And something in me just snapped. And all of a sudden, my cheeks are really wet. And he looks at me and he goes, are you crying? And I was a little embarrassed because I don't cry and I definitely don't cry at work. And all of a sudden I'm like, no, I'm not crying. My emotions have merely sprung a leak. <laughs> emotions come in primary and secondary forms. You know, oftentimes the emotion that we're facing is not the primary emotion, it's the secondary one. Anger is a great example. When we get angry, usually it's not anger that's fueling the situation. It's something more deeply rooted. I like to think of it like an iceberg. Only about an eighth of the iceberg is visible above the water. Everything else is beneath the surface. 
Same with our emotions. Now, I actually think that as humankind, we have regressed in our ability to express emotion because we no longer use words for them. We use emojis. Did you know that there's an emojipedia? It can, it's comprised of over 2,000 emojis complete with different skin complexions so that you can express how you're feeling. So I thought it might be fun if we kicked off today with a little game. Now this game is a participatory game, which means you are involved and it's called Name That Emoji. Are you guys ready? Here's how it works. Our amazing production team is gonna throw an emoji on the screen and I want you to shout out what you think that emoji is called. You guys ready? Online, you can participate too. Just put in the chat what you think this one's called. All right, production team, first one. What's that? Happy, okay. This is actually the grinning face with tall eyes as compared to the grinning face with not tall eyes. But happy works, good job. All right, how about this next one? Mad, angry, it's like the red angry, right? This is actually the pouting face. Mm, I know, right? You didn't know your emojis as well as you thought you did. Okay, not too bad. Let's do a really easy one. How about this one? Sick. This is the nauseated face. Good job. Well done. All right, how about this one? I'll give you a hint. It's not the face with shaving cream. Okay, it's the face in the clouds. Because, you know, sometimes you feel that way, right? Anyway, okay, how about this next one? Tired. Okay, good guess. I would have said the face with bad breath. But this is the exhaling face. See, like. Okay, good job. All right, one more. You got this one. Come on. Sad. Kind of worried. This is the pleading face. Okay, all right. Give yourselves a hand. You guys did a great job. Maybe you don't know your emojis as well as you thought you did, but that's okay. There's bigger things to succeed in in life, right? You know, I'll never forget the first time I used emojis and text messages. I sent a message to a friend with the hand with the pointer finger referencing a message above, except I didn't have my glasses on and I actually sent the hand with the middle finger and I sent a slightly different message. <laughs> Emotions are complex, right? But if we learn how to lead our emotions versus letting our emotions lead us, I believe we can be in alignment with God, what God has for us. Now, the, the emotion that God laid on my heart to share with you today is disappointment. Disappointment. We've all been there. We've all faced disappointment. But I think we have an opportunity to face disappointment from a spirit-led perspective versus an emotional perspective. In fact, we're gonna talk about that today, how to encounter disappointment from a spirit-led perspective, and we're gonna talk about it in three ways, how to face it, how to grace it, and how to raise it. Now, I worked really hard to make those rhyme for you guys, so I would encourage you to take some notes. Y'all ready? Okay, number one, when we're spirit-led in disappointment, here's how to face it. Here's how to face it. 
You know, we all have an opportunity for disappointment. We've all been there. Maybe some of us are there right now. But I've got a key question for you. Have you ever lost your donkey? Have you? Now, this is a question in reference to losing something of importance. But think about that. Have you ever lost something really important to you? Sometimes that can be really frustrating, can take you to a place of disappointment. You know, my daughter, we bought her a sweater that matched her school uniform. She was so excited. She wears it to school the first day, comes home, goes, Mom, I lost my sweater. I was like, Cora Bear, come on. All right, you have to be responsible for your sweater. So tomorrow, I want you to go back to school. I want you to retrace your steps from the lunchroom back to the playground. I want you to find your sweater. She goes, got it. Goes to school the next day, comes home. Mom, I've got great news. I said, give it to me. She said, I did what you said. I retraced my steps from the lunchroom back to the playground. I found my sweater. I was like, yeah, woohoo, good job. She goes, I also have bad news. I was like, what's that? Well, as I was leaving the playground, going back to the classroom, I dropped my sweater somewhere and I lost it. (laughs) Losing things can be incredibly frustrating. It can take you to a place of disappointment. Now, I wanna talk about a story in the Bible where the characters lost something of importance, but how they were able to face this disappointment from a spirit-led perspective. We're gonna go to 1 Samuel. This is chapter nine, verse three. Now the donkeys, there's my donkey reference, because sometimes when you get emotional, you lose your donkey. Okay, we're, we're gonna get that one at some point before the end of the service. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Who's Kish? Kish was a man of high standing. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. People looked to him. They looked up to him. He was a good dude. Now Saul was his son. And the Bible says that Saul was good looking and that he was a head taller than all the other people. So ladies, just get this picture in your head. He was tall, dark, and handsome. Now why did it matter that they lost their donkey? Donkeys were a possession, like it stinks to lose a possession. But in those times, donkeys actually symbolized trade and commerce. It was their means of transportation to be able to participate in trade and commerce. So if you translate that to modern day 2021, that's like losing your car, kind of a big deal. So Saul was eager to please his father. So he grabs his servant and they go look for these donkeys. This is 1 Samuel 9, verse 4. So he passed through the hill country of Gastonia and through the area of Noda, but they did not find the donkeys. They went on to the district of Southend, but the donkeys weren't there either. Then they passed through the territory of Third Ward, but they didn't find the donkeys. Now, they are walking all over Charlotte, Their feet are tired. They're getting frustrated. They can't find these donkeys. And Saul's ready to give up the search party for these wayward mules. Verse five, when they reached the district of Ballantyne, because that's a hike, right? Saul said this to the servant who was with him, come on, let's go back. My father's gonna stop thinking about the donkeys. He's gonna start worrying about us. Have you ever been deeply disappointed? 
Where does disappointment come from? Have you ever thought about that? Well, oftentimes it comes from one of two things, people or circumstances. And if you think about disappointment, it's really simple why we get disappointed. It's a missed expectation. We expected X, but Y actually happened. Let me give you an example. On Friday, I expected that my husband, Matt, would bring home some flowers, and he showed up empty-handed. Now, it doesn't matter that my expectation was totally unwarranted because it wasn't my birthday, it wasn't our anniversary. I don't even really like flowers, but it's my expectation. And when he showed up empty-handed, I was disappointed. Think about a real example, because that was actually a joke. I, I don't really like flowers, so. Think about your performance review. Imagine you're having a rock star year, and not only are you expecting great feedback from your boss, you're expecting to get a merit increase. You show up to your performance review, and your boss gives you feedback that's different, and you don't get that compensation increase. Missed expectation, disappointment ensues. That's exactly what Saul was facing. You see, Saul spent his lifetime battling with insecurity. That was his issue with David. It was also his issue with his father. He was eager to please his father, who was this upstanding citizen, somebody who people looked up to. And he was constantly missing his expectations. So Saul has this opportunity when his dad says, go find the donkeys, you can imagine, right? He's probably got this fantasy in his head of, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna find the donkeys, I'm gonna bring them home and I'm gonna look like the hero. So when he's on this search to find the donkeys and he realizes he's not going to succeed, he starts to experience a deep disappointment. We've all been there. Now, they're just about to give up the search. When the servant goes, you know what? I just thought of this. The man of God, the prophet Samuel lives nearby. We should go see him because surely he's got a direct connection to God. Like he'll know where these donkeys are, right? Now here in lies, Saul's greatest appointment buried deep in the midst of his disappointment. An appointment in his disappointment, 1 Samuel 9, 15. Now the day before Saul came, this is important, the Lord had gone to the prophet Samuel and said, about this time tomorrow, I'm gonna send you a man from the land of Benjamin. His name is Saul. He's gonna be looking for wayward donkeys, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He's gonna deliver them from the hand of the Philistines because I've looked on my people and their cry has reached me. Wow. You guys see that? Saul thought he was looking for lost donkeys, but buried in his disappointment was a divine appointment from God himself. God was about to anoint him ruler over the Israelites, which by the way, he would have been the first human ruler over the Israelite people. Could that be the same for us today? Buried deep in our disappointment is an appointment from the Father himself. Think about that. The way to be spirit-led when we face disappointment is to look for the appointment 
buried within. Number two, when we're spirit-led with disappointment, here's how to grace it. Here's how to grace it. You know, we've all talked about how we've experienced disappointment. We've all been there. It's no respecter of person. It's visited us before. But what happens when you encounter someone else's disappointment? What happens when you are the cause or the source of someone else's disappointment? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And sometimes it's unwarranted, right? You're going like, I don't know what you thought I did, but clearly you are disappointed in me. How do we handle that? We grace it. We extend grace and grace is unmerited favor. You know, Jesus did this. Did you know that Jesus disappointed people? So if Jesus disappointed people, how much more likely are we to disappoint people? But here's the thing, Jesus operated in a spirit-led capacity. And he taught us three things that I wanna share with you in how to grace other people's disappointment. The first, Jesus showed compassion to preserve relationships. He showed compassion. You know, there's a story in the Bible, Martha and Mary, who are sisters of Lazarus, and all three of them are good friends with Jesus. Lazarus gets sick to the point that he's gonna die. Now, Mary and Martha know that Jesus is capable of all sorts of miracles, right? And they know that Jesus loves Lazarus. So when they call for him and Jesus doesn't come, they're disappointed. In fact, Jesus shows up days after Lazarus has already died and they are deeply distraught. Why? They're disappointed because they were convinced that Jesus could have done something to save Lazarus. Now imagine Jesus shows up and he's like, wait, you're disappointed? Little do you know, I'm about to raise your brother from the dead. But did he get angry with them because they were disappointed? Did he get defensive that they didn't see all that he was about to do? No, he met them with compassion. The Bible says he even wept alongside of them. And I love what Jesus says to Martha when he meets her in John 11, verse 23. He says, your brother, he's gonna rise again. He's instilling hope like Pastor Aaron and Stephanie were talking about. And Martha responds, I know, he'll rise again, the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus met their disappointment with compassion. You know, not too long ago, my youngest daughter was having an all out temper tantrum. Like one of those parents, you know, where the child is like rolling around on the floor, kicking and screaming and you're like, oh my gosh, they got a demon. <laughs> like that's what I was thinking. Like, all right, get my anointing oil out. We're gonna cast some demons out this girl. <laughs> But instead I was like, all right, I'm gonna rationalize with her. Cause that's what you start with, right? I'm gonna rationalize with a five-year-old who's having a temper tantrum. That didn't work. So then I'm like, okay, I'm the parent. I'm gonna exercise my disciplinarian skills. Cause the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? That didn't work. She's still kicking around. I'm like, all right, Jesus, I'm gonna need your help about now. Cause I don't know what to do to get this child to stop from temper tantruming. Tan you know, that's a word. And I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, give her a hug. And I'm like, what? 
what? She's kicking around, screaming, how am I gonna? And the Holy Spirit says, give her a hug. So I go right up to my daughter and I said, Quinn, kind of sarcastically, because let's be honest, would you like a hug? And she stops right in her tracks and she looks at me and she goes, yes, mama, I would like a hug. And I was like, oh my gosh, had I just met her with a little bit of compassion, maybe we wouldn't have had to go through all of that, yeah? The second thing that Jesus taught us when gracing other people's disappointment is he focused on the future, not on the past. He focused on the future, not on the past. Because you know, when you encounter someone's disappointment, they are oftentimes wallowing in the things of the past. The facts of what went wrong or what you did wrong, right? They're just reveling in that. But Jesus wouldn't have it. Jesus, especially dealing with the Pharisees, wouldn't tolerate anything other than a forward look. Now, there's a time in the Bible where Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, and the Pharisees and the lawmakers dragged in this woman who had been caught literally in the act of adultery. And they are reeling through all of her sins and her transgressions, just letting her have it. Did Jesus jump on board? Was he like, oh yeah, that's true, she did do that and that and that. No, this is how Jesus responds to her. In John 8, verse 10, he straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declares, now go and leave your life of sin. He's pointing forward. So when we meet somebody's disappointment, we need to point them forward versus reveling in what's already happened. You see, the Pharisees were so busy reconstructing the past. Meanwhile, Jesus was building the future. The third thing that Jesus did when gracing other people's disappointment is he stated truth and he avoided argument. He stated truth and he avoided argument. Now, these are very practical things, mind you, but I love how the Bible can be super sophisticated, intellectual, but it can also be super practical too. So in this story, on the day of resurrection, so Jesus has already hung on the cross to die. He's already descended into hell, stole back the keys. He's already exited the tomb, shed the grave clothes, and now he's on the road to Emmaus and he encounters some disciples. Now the disciples don't realize that they're in the presence of the resurrected Christ. And they're like talking about the last three days and the events that had happened and Jesus is like, what you talking about? That's how I envision he did it. <laughs> and they're like, oh dude, you missed it. Like the last three days were epic. Like they hung the Messiah on the cross, they beat him, they, they flogged him. And then as they're telling the story, disappointment starts to creep in because they realize it's now the third day. The Messiah was supposed to resurrect on the third day, but they didn't know that Jesus had already resurrected. In Luke 24, verse 21, they're talking and they're telling Jesus, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day and nothing's happened yet, or so they thought. 
In addition, some of our women, they amazed us. They actually went down to the tomb this morning. They found it empty. They encountered some angels even. But they're expressing disappointment to the point of disbelief. And what does Jesus do? Because can you imagine? He's just been beaten, spit on, ridiculed, persecuted, hung on a cross. And now these disciples don't realize that what he said was to happen had actually happened. Can you imagine? I would have like given them a piece of my mind. But Jesus doesn't. He operates from a spirit-led perspective. Luke 24, verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he starts to explain to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, Jesus didn't give them a piece of his mind, but he faced their disappointment head on and he spoke truth. He gave them what the scripture said, but he didn't incite an argument because he could have been like, you dummies. Like, duh, this is what the scripture said was gonna happen. But do we do that? Do we handle disappointment, disappointed people in a spirit-led way or do we operate in our flesh? Because I think sometimes we're guilty of doing one of two things. The first is we're like, oh man, that person's disappointed. And quite frankly, I didn't even really do what they said that I did. So I'm just gonna shut that down. I'm not gonna entertain that conversation. That's not what Jesus did though. He went head on. Or the other thing that we do is we start an argument and we're arguing back and forth with the person who's disappointed, trying to convince them why they shouldn't be disappointed. But Jesus just spoke truth. Y'all tracking with me? The way to grace other people's disappointment is to speak truth, not incite an argument. Because when disappointment's left to fester, it can cause far more damage in the long run. Number three, last one, almost done. When we're spirit-led with disappointment, here's how to raise it or raise above it. Here's how to raise it. You know, if only we could just erase our emotions and our feelings when they come on, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Like you start to feel that anger bubbling and you're like, mute. Or you start to feel that guilt coming on and you're like, delete. Or you feel that joy coming on and you're like, oh, I'm gonna hang out in this one. I'm gonna bask in the joy. But that's not how emotions work. That's not how we're to deal with our emotions. We have to learn how to actively manage them. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 12 too, I love this. Do not conform, everyone say conform, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Everyone say be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. What does the world tell us to do in our emotions? Oh, just be in your feels. Just wear your emotions on your sleeve. Hey, if you feel like being a unicorn today, be a unicorn. That's what the world tells us to do. 
The world tells us it's okay to soak in our emotions, but the Bible says, don't give your emotions a license to drive. Don't give your emotions a license to drive. That's transformation. You know, and a little practical tip for you here, the more you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more you actually get to know yourself and how you're wired and how you operate. You know, little thing about me, one of my personality or my personality type, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, it's just a personality behavior test. I'm an eight, which is a challenger. And my natural fear is to feel like someone's taking advantage of me or that somebody's trying to hurt me. So imagine if I'm operating in my feels, if I'm letting my flesh and my emotions drive, when something happens, I'm gonna fly off the handle. But you know what I have to do? I have to actively pray this scripture. And I wanna encourage you to do the same. Psalm 139 verse 23, search me thoroughly, O God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus certainly had a valid excuse to let his emotions drive when he found out that John the Baptist, his best friend and his cousin had been murdered, had been beheaded. Can you imagine getting that news? He could have been angry. He could have been so deep in his despair that he was no longer functional for what God had called him to do. But Jesus was spirit led. How did he handle it? I love this scripture, Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Time out, that's an important one. Because sometimes when our emotions, when our flesh is running wild, we got to take a time out, remove ourselves, go to a solitary place and go, okay, God, Holy Spirit, deal with me in this. Jesus modeled that. When he was walking in the flesh, he modeled how to be spirit led. And the second part, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had what? compassion on them and he healed their sick. Whoa. I don't think that had I just gotten bad news about somebody I deeply loved that I could have set my emotions aside like Jesus did. Now I like to imagine that if Jesus had words in this moment, he would have said pain and disappointment. I see you and I raise you a miraculous act for someone else because that's exactly what he did. Because the very next scripture, he takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds 5,000 men. Jesus took this opportunity to be spirit led and he turned it into an opportunity for someone else. He was spirit led. You know, I often find one of my checks is if I'm being fleshly in my emotions or spirit led, is if my inclination, the, the thing that I'm feeling to do, if it's a selfish behavior or if it's one for someone else. Now, Jesus was disappointed, but he wasn't discouraged. 
What's the difference? Disappointment is when people or circumstances hurt you. Discouragement is thinking God did. Had Jesus been discouraged, he would have missed out on an opportunity to bring about a miracle for someone else. Will you all stand to your feet? Are you disappointed today? Are you discouraged today? You know, when I was prepping for this message, I heard the Lord literally say, Diana, you get to choose to set your disappointment aside for a greater expectation for what I'm gonna do. Woo. You know, last week I was traveling for work and I hopped in an Uber and I get in the Uber and my Uber driver in the first like five minutes takes two wrong turns. She's just like not paying attention. And all of a sudden the ETA jumps up 20 minutes and I'm like, oh snap, like that's not good. I'm now gonna be really late for a very important appointment. And, and if y'all know me, like I like to be punctual. So when I see that I'm gonna be late, like I'm like ticking in the back seat, like twitching. Ah! And my emotions are starting to like stir up in me. You guys know those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, it's about to be over. And I was like, all right, hold on. Jesus, take over take over. And I just started praying right there in the back seat of the Uber. And I felt this overwhelming peace just come over me. All of a sudden, the anger, the frustration, the twitch, it all went away. And I looked at my Uber driver and I said, hi, Miss Brenda. How's your day going? And she goes, oh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that. I was meeting her disappointment. I could just sense it. I could just feel it. You know what I'm talking about? And I had a chance to say, oh, I'm not going there. Like, I'm just gonna check my email. Like, sorry, you're having a bad day. But I was like, nope, I'm gonna press in. What's going on, Miss Brenda? Tell me, what's going on? She said, there was this person in my life who was really important to me and they walked out, they abandoned me me years ago. And that broke me, that hurt me, that left a big gaping hole in my heart. She said, now that person is back, but because they need something from me, they've got a medical diagnosis now and they need me to be their primary caretaker. And I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm disappointed in how this has all worked out. Tears streaming down her cheeks. I said, Miss Brenda, Can I tell you a story? Have you ever lost your donkey? And I told her the story about Saul losing the donkeys and how deep in the midst of his disappointment, God had a radical appointment in store for him. And she goes, yes, I see it. I see what you're saying. There very well could be an appointment in this for me and I'm gonna cling to that. I had a chance to pray with Miss Brenda. We talked, it was such a cool moment. And you know, when we reached my destination, she stopped the car, she put it in park and she turned around and she said, Miss Diana, I was your appointment today. God is so good, isn't he? 
right where you are, if you could just close your eyes, bow your heads. Maybe you're in here today and you've been struggling with some disappointment. Maybe life has not happened the way that you expected it to. Maybe something that you've been believing for has yet to show up and you're disappointed. You're hurt by that. Do you know that God sees that? He knows every ounce of your disappointment. The Bible says he captures your tears and he saves them. But we have an opportunity to be spirit led in that disappointment. And I wanna give you that opportunity right now. If you're in here and you're saying, okay, I am disappointed, but God, I'm gonna hand that back to you. If you're in here and you're ready to do that, will you just lift your hand right where you are? Thank you. Hands up all over. Thank you. I wanna pray with you. Put your hands down now. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are under your authority and that you are in control. And that no matter what people or circumstances have hurt us, no matter the disappointment we feel, God, I will not let it turn to discouragement because I know that you've got something in store. God, I pray right now that you will just be close to each one that's in here today. You know the depth of their disappointment. You know their circumstance. God, I pray that you remind them that you've got an appointment, something radical in store that you are brewing and grooming behind the scenes that they are just eager to see. God, I pray that they will look to you with that anticipation, knowing that it's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in here, just keep your eyes closed. Maybe you've not yet made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. And I just wanna tell you that when you do, disappointment doesn't go away but I can tell you that so many amazing things come from a life with a savior. And if you're in here, I wanna give you that opportunity. If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and savior of your life, or maybe you have, but you've walked away and you wanna come back. If you're in here, will you just lift your hand right where you are? I wanna pray with you online. You can participate too. Just click the hand in the chat. Thank you. We're gonna pray, church, if you'll just repeat after me. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die, to raise again, to forgive me of my sins. I accept, I declare, Jesus, Lord and Savior. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.